Hello again, my friends. This is Pastor Joe bringing you part two of our mini-series of The Heart of Jesus. We talked about having a servant's heart last week, and today we're going to talk about having the heart of worship. And this is very, very important for us because worship, as we're going to see today, is a central piece of who and what we are in Christ. And we're going to be bouncing around Scripture a little bit. So let me say to you first and foremost that worship is one of those activities that is as much a part of being a child of God as bread is to a sandwich. No one would slap, (laughs) I love peanut butter and jelly, no one would slap peanut butter and jelly together on the counter and then try to eat it that way. Well, likewise, God's children, we can't walk the way of the Lord each day without sincere heart worship. Unfortunately, though, worship is one of those activities that is so diversely defined that divisions have occurred regarding what is and what is not worship and what God would and would not accept as worship. So to understand how God views worship, we need look no further than at Jesus. Again, we're talking about the heart of Jesus in this series and how he worshiped our Father. So the first point to offer you today is the question, what is worship? I'd like to give you two definitions of what the word worship means. First, it is to adore, to pay divine honors to, to reverence with supreme respect and veneration. That's the first definition. The second one is to love in the highest degree, to regard with the utmost esteem, affection, and respect. So to help understand this definition, we need to know what adore means. And it's defined as the following to worship with profound reverence, to address with exalted thoughts by prayer and thanksgiving, to pay divine honors to, to honor as a God or as divine. And so if we put this together, we see that worship is more than just singing a hymn. It's more than just praying a prayer. It involves the entire heart and mind with the giving of the greatest affection and love that we possess. And when we talk about worshiping God, we're talking about that which includes a heart and a mind that are filled with reverence for the one being worshiped. That's Jesus. That leads to physical acts to demonstrate that reverence. And so my heart and mind can be filled with reverence for God, but if I don't do anything with that, it questions the reverence. It questions the worship. Worship becomes an action. And so my heart and mind say, I love God. Well, I need to show that love in my actions. It's just the natural progression that occurs. It's the logical progression that occurs. What starts in the mind comes to the heart. What comes from the heart are our actions. So let's look at some examples from Scripture. These are some things that in ancient times were examples of worshiping. In Exodus chapter 4, way back in the book of Exodus, in verse 31, we see that bowing down was a form of worship. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 46, it goes one step further, falling prostrate on the ground. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 21, it's providing sacrifice and offerings to God. In Matthew 15 and verse 19, it's to hold one in awe. We hold God in awe if we are worshiping him. And another final example, Acts 7.42, 
is performing sacred services. Now, we talk about worship today. Worship includes private and public expressions of reverent love. It includes a heart dedicated to that which is worshipped. This is God done through sincerity. It's a desire to express our love for that which is worshipped in thought and deed. Again, action becomes the result of a heart that worships. And this means that it's a lifestyle of loving expression rather than worshipping only at scheduled times. Jesus prayed at specific times. But he also had a spirit of prayer throughout the day. The Apostle Paul talked about a spirit of prayer throughout the day. No matter what we're doing, we can be talking to God. And that's what this means here, is that worship of God isn't done. Oh, it's noon. i got to stop what I'm doing. I'll put off lunch. I'm going to worship, and then I'll have lunch, and then I'll go play. No. Worshiping is something that is a lifestyle. It's something that we do all day by holding God in such reverence and adoration. And it's raising that which is honored. Again, this is God to a higher level of importance than ourselves. So it's no mystery that the object of a worship as Christians is God. And God himself commanded that he and he alone receive worship. This is, again, way back in Exodus 34 and verse 14. Jesus stated that the time had come when true worshipers would worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and that the Father sought such worshipers. Jesus said again that the time had come when true worshipers, now that should be you and me, that we would worship the Father in spirit and in truth, everything that we are, everything that we do, and that the Father seeks such worshipers today. Well, my second point for you today is how did Jesus worship? And that may sound like a very strange question. We have a foundational understanding now of what true worship is. So let's take a look at how Jesus viewed and demonstrated worship. And I think it's hard to think of Jesus as God worshiping anyone. Now, last week we studied his desire to empty himself of rank and dignity and become a human being in Philippians chapter 2. As such, he lived this human life and submitted his will to that of the Father And so he worshiped God, the Father. Jesus knew well the outward forms of worship that occurred in the synagogues by the religious hypocrites. And they were were truly hypocrites because they did things so that they could get attention, so that they could be worshipped, if you will, rather than giving of themselves completely to God. Jesus desired a transition from outward and self-seeking worship to a sincere inner heart worship. That created a love for God and a heart and mind that were dedicated to him. And we see this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Jesus taught his followers a couple of things. In verses 1 through 4, he taught them to provide acts of service and kindness for those in need with discretion rather than as public spectacles for attention. In other words, do it quietly, do it for God, do it for them. In verses 5 through 13, he taught them to pray with sincerity and faith to God and in private, again, rather than in public and for attention. In verses 14 and 15, he taught about having a forgiving heart, which also leads to God's continuing forgiveness of our sins. There's a covenant there. And finally, in verses 16 through 18, 
he taught not to let others know when they fasted, which is a spiritual discipline intended on strengthening one's faith, not trying to get attention or pity from others. Now, note that each of these categories is to be done in a one-to-one setting with God for his glory and for those being prayed for or fasted for or forgiven. What we do in private, we do more sincerely, I believe, than what we do in public. Now, the heart of worship is not interested in accolades. It's not interested in praise from people. It's interested in encouragement and pleasure from God. And Jesus also believed in the regular gatherings of God's people in times of worship. This is what we do on Sundays, or what we did, what we will do again at some point. Jesus regularly attended the synagogue, and he often taught there. We see this in Mark chapter 1 in several places. The synagogue service was born out of the time of exile. It goes way back there. When Israel was away from the temple, and it grew into four parts. The service had four parts to it. And, and our service has parts to it. We have a bulletin, and we go through the different parts of our service. We try to do it seamlessly. We try to do it smoothly. We try to do it worshipfully. But there are parts to every church, church service. And this is what the service looked like in Jesus' day and before Jesus' day in the synagogue. First, there was a reading of the Shema. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. The Shema was the first public declaration of God, God being God Almighty. Then there were prayers, time of prayer. Now, some of them might have been psalms, which were probably sung as intended by David and other psalmists. Then number three was a reading from the Law and the Prophets. Now, this would have been done by a ruler of the synagogue. Now, this later became a lectionary or a service book with scriptures, and there are still denominations today that use lectionaries. And finally, the Targum. This is a condensed interpretation of the scriptures that would have been read as the final part of a service in the synagogue. Now, this system produced a regimental ordering of events rather than the development of heart worship that Jesus desired. And we get stuck in that sometimes in our churches today where we've got to go point by point by point in the bulletin. And it's not that the bulletin's not important. It's not that they don't give us the the big picture of what the service is supposed to be. But service comes from the heart. It comes from a love for God. It comes from a desire to please him and to glorify him. These things should be that which the service is centered around. Churches that still worship in this regimented ordering miss Jesus' desire for more sincere heart worship. He considered himself greater than the temple. We see this in Matthew chapter 12. And he quoted Hosea, an Old Testament prophet, Hosea 6.6. He reiterated the greater importance of one-on-one relationships with God now, one-on-one from us, over regimented ordering of events within a worship service. As Jesus stated in John chapter 4, And verse 23, true worship is that which is in spirit and in truth. We repeat that piece. That is, true worship is passionate. It's found deep within the heart of the lover of God. And this is the mark of true worship. And this brings us to our final point today, which is what is acceptable worship? This is a hard and an easy question to answer. 
We've defined worship. We've put it in a context that pleases God rather than people. We've discussed the type of heart that possesses true worship. What many Christians want to do now is dictate the types and forms of worship that are acceptable to God, or at least considered appropriate. And this is where we get into trouble, because Scripture has many different types of worship listed. There are songs of all sorts that were contemporary to the time, contemporary to the culture of the composers and the singers. We go all the way back to David now in the book of Psalms. They were developed by David on instruments of his day, spoken to the people in a language and in a format they understood. There are instances where people were quiet and introspective regarding their worship, such as when Mary pondered the birth of Jesus. And there were times when worship hit the streets in wild dances of joy and praise. We see David doing this in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So this is what I believe acceptable worship is. I believe, first of all, it's sincere. It comes from the heart. We mean it. It's directed to the glory and honor of God. It has a message consistent with Scripture in which praises God. And, as we said a moment ago, it speaks to the current culture and generations. And and note, generations is plural here. That makes up the audience of our neighborhoods. It should make up the audience of our churches. Each church should be able to minister to multiple generations and cultures which our communities are made up of. Now, I'm sure there are other points to be made regarding this, but I believe those are consistent with Scripture and with our lesson today. So let's conclude. Public worship, this is what we do on Sundays, this is what people do in prayer groups and Bible studies and Sunday worship services, very important to the early church, very important to us today involved ways of worshiping that were relevant to that community back in Old Testament days and back in the the early church days. And it involved the people in ways that were meaningful and them coming together to worship God from the heart with sincerity. Today, the church needs to continue, I believe, to be relevant in its ministries, its outreach, and its worship. The results are growth, something that is God's plan for his church. Since growth is a sign of health within any church, and a key ingredient to stimulate growth is sincere worship, then our church's goal should be to develop and foster worship that is relevant to all of the generations and cultures that could visit us on any Sunday. To accomplish this goal, each member of the church, that's you and me, needs to have a heart for worship just as Jesus did. All right, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this message. We thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your protection and your provision. Lord, help us to have and to continue to build and develop hearts that worship you, hearts that love you, hearts that need you, hearts that seek to glorify you. Because when we do that, we take on the very nature of Jesus, the very definition of biblical worship. And this brings you praise and glory and honor. And it brings those worshiping you blessings. And it brings the church blessings. And we ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Stay safe. Make the right decisions. Worship God. Pray. You are all in my prayers every single day. We will get through this time together. 
If you need anything, let me know. I am here for you. I love you guys. Take care until next time. Bye-bye.